Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today we have two guests. It's incredible where they are calling in or zooming in from today, but I'm going to let them get into it and let's discuss this. But it's just going to be an incredible conversation hearing how they have, have gotten to this deal, syndicating a deal when they're so far away kind of makes you alleviate your excuses, you know, do away with your excuses when you're right here local. But it's Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier. I hope I'm saying that correctly, Susie. But Susie and Michael are the founders of Adventurous Real Estate Investors. Susie is head of investor relations and marketing, while Michael is head of acquisitions. Together, they specialize in strategically targeting core plus and value add commercial multifamily real estate investment opportunities to offer lucrative returns to their investors through the implementation of a business model that provides value to both residents and local community. Their most recent acquisition was a value add 88 unit apartment community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Michael and Susie, welcome to the show. First, tell the listeners where you're at today, where you live. Yeah, thanks so much, Whitney. It's a pleasure being on the show. And it's actually come full circle. So like last year, during Veterans REI Live, you actually spoke about syndications, multifamily syndications. And we had a little live Q&A afterwards. And you were the one who planted the seed in our mind that you don't have to start with single family, you can start with multifamily. So now it's come full circle We're on your show. This is awesome. But we are calling in from Cambridge, England right now. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I'm glad I could play a part in that. But, you know, get us started a little bit about, you know, back up a little bit with that story, you know, that you just begun with there. Give us a why real estate, why syndication, and, you know, let's get to that first deal. Yeah, absolutely. So everything actually started because of COVID. So for the first lockdown over here, it was a little over 100 days. And During that time, like nobody was working and Michael and I don't have a TV. So we actually started a mini book club. And through that mini book club, we read multiple streams of income. And in that book, Robert Allen talks about real estate investing. And Michael and I just kind of looked at each other like, okay, this is something we have to do, (laughs) you know? And because everything went virtual, it gave us a great end to start networking and going to conferences and having those conversations with brokers and having those conversations with like potential team members. And that's really like the root of the beginning. But I guess even just to like fast forward a bit to get to like the 88 deal in Tulsa, the biggest part of what we were missing was a boots on the ground. And so through just posting on social media and letting people know like, Hey, this is what we need. Cause like, that's a big part of the community. One of Michael's old classmates reached out and had said like, Hey, I I'm interested in real estate investing. We should chat. And after that conversation happened, and after we found out the market, we were like, oh my gosh, we have our boots on the ground. (laughs) Like we are going to be successful. You know, and from there, we just started looking at properties and submitting LOIs because Michael was doing the acquisitions and the broker relations. And again, because everything was virtual, brokers were much more open to having these conversations over the phone or over Zoom to get to know us better. So it created an opportunity for you all. I mean, COVID did. You know, just the way it was accepted more so just to meet over Zoom as opposed to having to be in person. Tell me, are you from England? Have you all lived in the States? Tell me about, 
you know, how long you've been there, a little bit of that. Yeah, so I'm still active duty Air Force. Thank you for your service, by the way. Thanks, Whitney. I appreciate your service as well. So yeah, we were in Colorado before coming to England and I was teaching at the Air Force Academy. They want me to continue teaching. So they sent me to get a PhD for some reason. No, Stop it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm over here getting a PhD in the same time. Once I'm done over here, this is like a three, three and a half year gig. And then I'll go back to the academy and continue teaching, kind of finish out my military career there. So I have about a little around seven years left. And so after that, we're going to you know transition to real estate full time. And then Susie also. Yeah. So I am a program manager over here for a biotech company. But like through real estate investing and seeing like everything that provides and like all the great benefits, fingers crossed that I get to go full time in August. So it's very exciting. Nice. Very nice. That is exciting. Tell me a little bit about because I get this question often, you know, getting started, you know, being overseas for one. I mean, that's a whole nother set of limitations there, hurdles that you all have had to cross. But working full time, getting to the first deal. Tell me a little bit about how you all structured your time. You know, some key things that you had to put in place to manage your time and maybe time block or structure the important things that you had to accomplish getting to that deal. Yeah, that's a great question. And so one of the biggest things actually is the time difference, right? So like, we are ahead of even like California and such by eight hours. So by the time it was 5 p.m. here, it was 9 a.m. there. So we still had like five or six o'clock on, you know, to 10 or 11 to still talk to people and go to those networking events and get so much done. So that was the biggest, I think, like grace that allowed us to move forward. And I mean, we're very much morning people. So like we would take advantage of the mornings to get work done and then take advantage of after work just to catch everybody to also get work done. But something that we also implement very well is time blocking. We just found that like when we find times to talk to people or go to networking events or write blog articles and such that that has really helped as well. Is there a tip around time blocking you can add? It's a skill that you develop, right? And it's a habit you have to almost create. And it's difficult at first to be that structured with your time, but it's so important. Any tips around making that happen? I think the biggest thing is you just have to be disciplined with your time. Like your time is the most valuable resource and people tend to waste that more than anything. And so you just have to realize that it is, it is your most valuable asset that you have to give. And you have to be very disciplined and very diligent at like time blocking things, right? And then also prioritizing certain things over every other things. I think another just tip, I guess there's two, is that to actually give yourself the correct amount of time that is needed. So although you might put like, oh, I only need a half hour to write this blog article, like there, you actually might need an hour. So put in that hour so that your time is allocated for. Yes. Say you get it done in like 45, 50 minutes. Like that's just awesome that you have an extra 10 minutes to maybe like put something else in right away. And then another thing is figuring out like when your green zone is. And what I mean by that is like when you are at like the peak of your creativity. So if that's in the morning, then I would try to time block some of your most prioritized times at the morning, you know, if that's in the afternoon, do it there. But that's just when the most creativity will flow. That's a great tip right there. And I love the the green zone. I love that term for it because I found that also. I love morning time being up early. I've always thought also being in Eastern time is a plus because I'm ahead of the West Coast, you know, uh, but you all are much further ahead. But let's dive into getting to that first deal. You knew you had to have boots on the ground. You reached out on social media. So you're putting yourself out there, right? You're, you're going to these events. You find an old schoolmate. I think you said that reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm looking to get into real estate as well. And then the markets worked out. 
Tell me some other things that had to happen to get to that deal. I think the biggest thing that had to happen was just finding a mentor for us. Like since it was, it was my, you know, our first acquisition, multifamily acquisition, like we wanted to make sure that it was right. And especially since we're raising so much money from our investors, we make sure that all the numbers are correct and things like that, especially for the market. The biggest thing that, you know, the driver behind our success was probably finding a mentor that was in the specific market and the specific sub-markets that we were looking in. And he had assets in that area, right? I mean, it was just an organic mentor that we found just through networking and things like that. Like Susan was mentioning, we networked a bunch because everything went virtual. And we ran across this gentleman and I just kept in touch with him, kind of developed a relationship and then asked him, hey, would you mind looking over my underwriting? Can we meet like once a week and chat? Uh, look at my underwriting, You know, look at the assets I'm looking at. You've seen them all because you're also looking in the same area, right? So let me know what you think. He was looking for a little bit bigger deals, you know, 150 plus. We're in the range of about, you know, 75 to 125. And so, you know, we weren't in direct competition. So he was more than happy to help out however he could. And then, you know, in return, he would come on the, the general partnership team. And that's kind of how he would make his money back, if you will. Wow. Okay. So tell me, what were a couple of things about him that said, okay, this guy could be a mentor for us? I know you said he's in the same markets, he's doing larger deals, those things, but anything else that said, you know what, this is a good fit? And then also, was there any kind of commitment from your side, financially or time or work or anything like that? You know, the other thing, after just chatting with him back and forth via emails and chatting on Zoom and stuff like that, like I knew he was somebody that I aspired to be just like. I knew like he's several years ahead of me. I want to be exactly where he's at. So I think, you know, aligning yourself with somebody, if you don't see your yourself in your mentor's shoes in the next X number of years, then that's not the right mentor for you, right? So I think that's key as well. And then making sure that, you know, not only do you aspire to be like them, how they're how successful they are in real estate, but also how they carry themselves and how also they portray themselves to everybody else, right? Like you want to make sure that those other values fall in line as well. So I think that's huge. That's such good advice right there. And thinking about who that mentor is. I don't think most people see it that way, you know, and think about, you know, I want to be where this person is. And even to the point, you know, how they represent themselves. I find that so important as well. You know, I'd often tell a story about how when I was a police officer, you know, I knew that how shiny my buttons were could save my life. And that seems silly to most people, but, you know, like professional criminals know to look for those things for slouchy officers, right? And, you know, officers that aren't squared away, I call it. But, you know, in our business, I find investors, brokers, all those people are the same. You know, it's, it's the same. How are you presenting yourself? And so finding that mentor that presents themselves the way you want to is very important. What was your commitment? And you don't have to uh, give it a dollar amount or anything, but I just mean, how did you commit it? Was it financially? Was it by work or was it just by him partnering with you? So I tried to add value back to him however I could, whether that was, you know, finding stuff on his website to fix or like, hey, providing value, however I could, you know, wherever I thought saw an opportunity to add value back to him, I would. But he didn't require any monetary contribution or anything like that. He just was giving up his time. He saw the big picture, you know, you know, when he was in my shoes, he had a mentor to look up to. And now he's doing the same looking back as he's still climbing up, right? So looking back and helping me up as he's still looking forward. So that was huge. And, and like I said, he would come on as a member of the general partnership team and then get equity in the deal. And that's kind of how he would, he would end up getting you know, paid back for his time, if you will. So No, that's awesome. That's a great <laughs> partnership there. Tell me steps to getting that first deal or how did you find it? So we found it just by networking with, with a bunch of brokers. We were actually this one broker in particular. We had submitted LOIs with him previously. He knew the team that we had built. He actually did a couple of transactions with my mentor previously on two other deals. And so he knew that, you know, we have a strong team. We can close on an asset. 
And so when we submitted an LOI on this specific property, he knew that we were strong buyers and he represented us well to the, to the seller or excuse me, yeah, to the seller. So he knew you were a strong buyer because of really your relationship with your mentor. Is that what it was? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And then also I provided, you know, entire cover letter that had all of our bios, what we've done previously professionally and all the real estate we've owned combined. Right. And then also submitted that whole package together. So we knew he knew that not only could we close, but we're also professional in representing ourselves that way. And even a big thing about the cover letter is that we wrote that like what lender we had been in contact with, what property manager we were going to go with, you know, and that's huge too, because they could see like, oh, they've already done like the background work. They're not going to go into this LOI scrambling to get all those other, I guess, people to be become a part of our team. Bedford's cost segregation specializes in generating significant tax savings via their engineering-based studies for commercial real estate clients nationwide. Founded in 2002, Bedford is one of the largest independently owned cost segregation providers in the country with over 14,000 studies completed to date in multiple offices throughout. The most important decision ownership can make when incorporating cost segregation within their real estate portfolio is selecting the right provider. With only 43 certified cost segregation professionals nationwide, Bedford is proud to employ eight of them and takes the quality of their people as seriously as their studies. Every certified cost segregation professional has passed a rigorous test combining knowledge of technical engineering issues, legal tax issues, ethics standards, and requires a strict level of prior work experience to be eligible. Bottom line, not all cost segregation providers are created equal. So be sure to take the decision seriously from the beginning to protect yourself for years to come. Please contact Bedford's Business Development Director, Frank Judici, to learn more. Love that right there. Another great tip. You're showing them you've done your due diligence, right? You've shown them you built your team, not only just a mentor that this person already knew, which was such a great thing, but then also you have your, you've spoken to your lender. You've spoken to these people. It's going to require speaking to them to get the deal done, but you've already done it. So congratulations there. Tell me some challenges from being overseas, you know, to get this deal closed. I don't know if these are challenges necessarily of being overseas. I mean, I guess one big one was that when like our lender wanted paperwork at 5 p.m. and it was like midnight for us. So I guess that was a challenge because some nights it was like, okay, do we stay up late because we know the lender is going to reach out? Or do we just like wake up in the morning and do it all? But I think actually one of our biggest challenges was just not knowing like how much paperwork actually goes into the lender. So like us being over here, it just kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. But at that time... Like I said, like the time difference really does not matter. It's like, well, that's really cool that you're five hours ahead of the East Coast, but we're going to have to do this together, (laughs) you know? And so I guess like in a sense, the time difference is really helpful, except for when it comes for lender paperwork, because they want it really fast. (laughs) Anything around the deal, or I guess give us a little more details about the business plan, you know, just how long you plan to hold this. What is the plan for this deal? So... This deal, this was a stabilized asset when we purchased it. So we were able to get agency debt on it. So we got a Freddie Mac small balance loan on that, which was great, you know, having the agency experience from, from the first deal, basically. And 88 units. So a majority of the units are, are these one ones. So one bedroom, one bath. And 48 of the 88 make up this unit type. With that, we are going to be actually adding washer and dryer connections and then actually adding stackable washer and dryers in each one of these units. And we'll be able to achieve an eighty-five percent or excuse me, eighty-five dollar rent premium because of that. 
the two ones, the two bedrooms also had the connections. However, majority of the units didn't actually have washer and dryers. And people who typically live in apartment communities, especially in two bedroom apartments, aren't typically carrying around, you know, washer and dryers with them. So we're actually going to add washer and dryers into those units and be able to achieve like around a $50 rent increase with that. How did you all raise the money? How much do you have to raise? Yeah, the raise was $1.75 million. And how we raised that was that we brought somebody else on to help with due diligence and capital raising. But one of the biggest things was that we found out that our friends and family were not going to be the people who were like part of our capital raising. So what we did was literally network and it felt like it was 24-7. We were having like 20 to 25 investor calls a week because we knew that we had to have that following in order to be able to ask people, right? Because especially with it being our first one, like you actually have no idea if people will want to like take that leap with you. But in the end, they definitely did. And that was great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was just networking a lot. We probably had like 600 calls in like three or four months. So we were definitely like trying to go above and beyond to just make sure that our name was out there and that people knew who we were. And a big thing about that too was like consistency, right? So like showing up at meetups, showing up at conferences and like reaching out to the people we had talked to like, Hey, it's really great to see you, you know, just to be like in the back of their mind at all times. Nice. You know, I want to ask a couple questions about that, but yes, you never know, you know, the first deal, even the second deal sometimes like, are we going to be able to raise some money? (laughs) Is it going to come in, you know, until you've done a few deals. And so you can gain some confidence, have a better understanding of your investor base. But you mentioned having 25 investor calls a week and 600 calls in four months. That's a high level of calls, I feel like, for most experienced investors or you know syndicators, much less somebody that's getting to their first deal. Tell me about how you generated that number of investor calls. I know that's what the listener right now is thinking, now, wait a minute, you know, how can I do that? Yeah, so our little secret <laughs> was that like when we attended virtual conferences, you know, some people would make a spreadsheet and be like, hey, this is my name, this is my LinkedIn. This is how I'm active in the space. This is how you can get a hold of me. And what we were noticing was that people actually weren't reaching out. So we started reaching out to everyone. And then also during meetups, right? Like we would screenshot the picture and then follow up on LinkedIn. It's just that follow up that people really need. And so that's how we got all the calls. We just made sure that in every space that we were in, if we saw a new person, we were like, hello, let's be friends. Cool. So you were looking for people. I just want to hear like things like that because you all were like going out there making it happen. You know, I mean, you were doing things like that. Anything else that helped you to nurture those relationships? So you would reach out. Were you all doing that yourself or did you have a virtual assistant helping you? We were all doing it ourselves. We just recently hired some VAs, but now we're kind of setting up the back end of the business where we have several lead magnets that kind of help drive those and nurture those customers as they come in. As potential investors. Yeah. And even just for us and like the first time, because there are so many different responses, right? Because we would ask like, hey, what are your investing goals for the year? What markets are you interested in? Like a VA would not really know how to respond to that. So that was just something that we thought we should definitely take control of. I was going to say, it's kind of like our queen bee role, if you will. Like that is the number one thing in real estate syndications. Like the business is raising money, right? And so we knew that that was our number one priority. That's the number one goal is to get investors on board with us. So when you're getting to this point, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently? I think it's just asking deeper questions. And so just to explain that, you know, like you could take it in any space of life, like asking the lender at first, like how much time do you think you'll need for me? How much paperwork is actually required? Right? Because again, we went in not knowing that. 
like asking your partners, even that you bring on, because so many times you get the question like, well, how much money do you think you can raise? And you get a response. But after that, nobody asks like, well, why do you think that, right? Like, have you been in constant communication with them? Like, what are you doing to actually know that that's the amount you can raise? I think a big one too, even is like asking somebody else's why or like what drives them, because then you can see like, will the partnership actually work, right? Because if somebody has like a complete different thought process than Michael and I have, but like, we all want to have real estate at the end that could definitely create a conflict. So I definitely think just asking deeper questions, which we have gotten much better at now. (laughs) Yes. That's so important. Questions are key to getting answers, right? And so how do you all, and maybe, you know, you can give an example of this specific deal. How do you all prepare for a downturn? So the biggest thing for us was the number one. Yeah. So there's several different things. So I look for three things in underwriting deals. Number one is that it's cash flowing from day one. Number two, we're looking for deals that, about 40 or 50% of the returns actually come from cash flow. So we're not banking too much on the upside. And number three, looking for stabilized assets so we can get long-term low-rate financing. And so for this specific deal, the way that we protected our investors from a downturn was we got a five-year hybrid loan. So what that means is if for five years, it's fixed. And then for 15 years, it's floating. So it's a 20-year total loan. So it's five years through a fixed period. And then after that, it is floating. However, it can only increase 1% per year with a cap up to 5%. So that allowed us to really preserve our investors' capital. So even though our business plan on this was five to seven years, you know, if we reach you know year six, seven, eight, nine, and it doesn't make sense to sell yet because it's not in the best interest of our investors, we can actually hold on to that asset for as long as we need, up to twenty years, right? And in that twenty-year period, there's going to be you know the market's going to turn around at some point, right? Looking at the past data for sure. So I think that's the biggest way that we protected our investors' capital in this specific deal. Do you have any predictions? just for the real estate market over the next six to 12 months. That's good. So I just saw that Freddie Mac has, has reduced their interest rates again after they came up last month and now they're heading back down. So I think they increased because of the potential, you know, with the stimulus to $1.9 trillion that's being injected in the economy. But I think there's a tsunami of liquidity that's coming. I'm not really sure, you know, how that tsunami is going to be receptive on side as far as interest rates goes. But I would predict in the next 12 months, interest rates will probably be same, if not lower than they are now. What about any daily habits that you all have that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? So I think our whole entire like day is a daily habit. But, you know, like we wake up, like at the same time every day, we read and then we journal and then we meditate, you know, then we go into like working out. So I mean, again, I guess the habit is time blocking because we've made enough time and we've put all of that in our planner, right? Like we write down when we're going to wake up, we write down when we're going to read, we write down when we're journaling and meditating. And so just seeing that whole entire day be filled with like the stuff that we need to do to be successful, that's really what has helped us be successful. Yeah. And I think discipline comes into that a lot. You know, like if you're not disciplined enough to wake up every single day at the same time and get the same things done every single day that you need to get done and time block that time off, like how are you going to be disciplined enough to run a multi-million dollar company, right? No, that's a good kick in the pants right there. You know, <laughs> if you're not disciplined enough to get out of the bed, how are you going to be disciplined enough to run a multi-million dollar business? I like that. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Definitely meetups and conferences. But our next newest best source is that we're going to launch a podcast. And it will have been launched when this airs. So definitely go check that out. It's the adventures of a real estate investor. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Tell me about the number one thing that's contributed to your success. Everything going virtual because of COVID. That's a silver lining because of COVID. And I think that's 
that's the number one contributor to our success for sure. How do you like to give back? Oh, so right now, just because of all the COVID restrictions in place, we are doing a lot of virtual mentoring. But definitely before this, we were on site like volunteering through with different organizations and charities. And so once all of that starts again, we'll go back to that. But definitely just mentoring people along the way. If anybody ever reached out to us, like have that initial conversation at the beginning, we always take that like Zoom call just because we remember that we were those people as one time at one time as well. I meant to ask you also, you're attending these meetups. How are you finding the meetups that you want to attend? Ooh, like meetup.com. I mean, I feel like I'm like a shark for these things. So I'm looking at meetup.com. I'm putting in real estate investing. I'm putting in like passive investing. You know, I'm trying to find those keywords on what would be on meetup.com. But because I've like met these people, you'll also find events on Facebook. You'll find events on LinkedIn. So it's just searching every avenue that you had and like thinking about the keywords that people would put in into like the meetup name to find it that way. Nice. Well, Michael, Susie, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you both. And thank you for your kind words as well. It's, it's great that, you know, you heard me speak a year ago and it's just amazing to see where you're at now, you know, and thankful I could play just a teeny little part in that somewhere. But just congratulations to your hard work, right? There's no doubt that it took some dedication, the time blocking, the due diligence, the discipline to get there. And most people, I think, underestimate that in a big way, end up getting frustrated or quit, you know, or quit getting out of the bed, you know, every day, like you talked about. But you have to be motivated and as motivated as Michael and Susie. Congratulations again. And tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, thanks for asking, Winnie. So actually, during our last deal, we kind of, Susie and I, thoroughly documented each step that we took, you know, from pre-LOI submission all the way through closing and takeover. And now, you know, we distill that information down into a checklist and we want to share that checklist with your listeners now. And so if they want to head over to adventurousrei.com forward slash checklist, they can download that checklist for free there. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference one investor and one child at a time connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success